This interview with Douglas Harding was conducted in 1990 in Vancouver, Canada. Douglas, could, could we begin by talking a little bit about the big self and the little self, or the big guy and the little guy? By all means, yes. Do you want me to uh, describe those two characters to you? Yes, please. Huh. Well, uh, guy, I'm, I'm not too sure about the word guy, unless it's being used um, ambisexually. Uh, does it mean, or perhaps I should say the little one and the big one, a little less um, dubious, I think. So, little one and the big one. Yes, well, um, for me, the, the little one is the chap one I see in my mirror, and I guess you're Ray on receipt of that little one whose name is Douglas, and um, if you were taking a photograph of me now, he would be shut up in your camera, wouldn't he? It'd be what your camera's getting, what you're getting, what I get in my mirror at a distance of a yard, or something like that. Now, here's the little one. And the big one is uh, not what I look like to others, but what I look like to myself, right here, at a distance of naught inches from me, um, where I'm coming from, what I'm looking out of, Ray. The big one's the one I'm looking out of, and uh, the one I'm looking out of is, is very big, very, very big, and that little guy in the mirror is very small. Hence the name, the big one, and the little one. And how are most of us moving through the world? How are most of us moving through the world? <laughs> well, that's a rather funny one, because as the little guy, the little, little chap in the mirror, and the little people with heads on the top of their shoulders, they obviously move around the world. I see them moving around the world as little people on the move. And all those uh, people, they're right way up and they've got a kind of thing on top of them, uh, we call a head. But they move around in the world and I see them tearing all over the shop. There they are. And I guess that's what little ones do. People move in the world because they're things and everything moves. But you see that the big one here, the exciting thing I find about the one that's right here, the big one, is the big one does not move and cannot move and never has moved and never will move. And uh, in the car, when I'm driving my car, I've got the kind of option to be the little one or the big one. And uh, when I am the little one or imagining I'm the little one, why I'm, as it were, perceiving, or I think I'm perceiving, Vancouver in a kind of uh, fixed state. Vancouver is uh, motionless, fixed. Everything is nicely behaving itself in position and nothing is moving around. That's when the little one's driving my car. But when I really attend and tell the truth and stop lying to myself, and wake up, come out of my coma, then I find and let, allow the big one, who I really, really am here, to drive my car. 
why I notice that the car doesn't move at all. I mean, it's absolutely fixed. And Vancouver's doing all the moving and the, and the buildings and the uh, lampposts and the trees. And everything is on the move except me in my stillness, in my space. So the big one never moves. So your question is, how, how, do, how do we move around the world? The short answer is the little one does and the big one doesn't. And I would like to relate that to some of the problems that we find ourselves in in the world as we move around as the little one. For example, uh, creating structures and problems and political issues and that kind of thing. Can we do that? Uh, well, I think the nature of the little one is to be involved in the world, and it's very proper that uh, that little one should be involved in the world's problems. And indeed, he will never, he or she will never break free from that, because it's the very nature of the little one, the one we look like, our appearance, one in the mirror, in the nature of that one to be involved in the problems of the world. And the world runs on problems like cars run on gas, petrol as we call it. And uh, that's for accepting you know, the, the little Douglas and little Ray, the ones we see in the mirror, they're involved in all sorts of problems. And I say the way to accept that and not be got down by that, not to let that destroy our peace of mind and uh, bug us too much, is to see that we are not only that little one involved in problems out there, but centrally, exactly where one is, one is problem-free. Because see, when I look now at what I'm looking out of, not what I'm looking at, I'm looking at Ray over there, and uh, I'm looking out, not of Douglas. I'm not looking out of Douglas. I'm not looking out of that little one. I'm looking out of the big one. And the big one I'm looking out of here is not a thing. It's, it's space. I mean, it really is space. And there's your face, and I'm space for you. And we're face to space. And for me, uh, your face there is received here in my space. And I guess for you, uh, you've uh, got Douglas's face inhabiting your space now. And we're not face to face, we're trading faces. Well now, the problem, problems that I have are out there in the Douglas region. And they're not here because this is space. And here is clearness, clearness clarity, space. Deep space, wide space, wide as the sky without blemish, absolutely free of all problems. Right here, no problem can ever penetrate because there's nothing to go wrong. So I say, live from your problem-free space as the big one into the little one there, busy having her or his problems. When I heard you speak recently, you talked about the myth of confrontation and use the terminology that we often think that we're face-to-face -face rather than face-to, no space. Face-to-face, face no face, yes. Well, you said often, I'd say that 99.9% uh, .9 of the human race is engaged in the mythological uh, and tragic business of confrontation. 
because language says we're face to face, we tailor our experience to fit the language. Because we're alleged to be face to face, why we hallucinate accordingly. And why do we do that? Because we want to belong to the club called humanity. And uh, one of the main uh, uh, items in our very, very heavy subscription to this darn club uh, is that we have to confront, in imagination, confront the people we meet. And the face-to-face thing is really our title, our title to belong to the club. See, the extraordinary thing, it's very amusing, really, that, uh, you see, you're not allowed in the club if you're too big, and uh, you have to be shrunk to be to the right size. But the club has only got a certain amount of accommodation, you see, and you're much too big to be allowed in this club if if you're the big one. So you have to be the small one to belong to the club, and we want to belong to the club, so what do we do? We shrink into this little thing here. And we shrink into this imagined kind of meatball on our shoulders for confronting people with. And it's a lie, and it's crazy, and misery, and suicide, really. Uh, And the fact is, the fact is, of course, I've never confronted anyone in my life. I've never been face to face with anyone in my life. And this is a great human myth. And I think it'll polish off the human race unless we we snap out of it. Is there an exercise that you can give us via the radio without being able to see to help show this to people who are listening? Why, yes, indeed. I mean, uh, my listener, how do you do, listener? (laughs) Pleased to meet you. And uh, I would just say, look, uh, look at at whatever's in front of you. I don't know what it is. It might be a friend. It might be a picture. uh, Any any of you. of flowers, I don't know what, look at it and see that you are not keeping that scene out. You really are empty for it, aren't you? You are space for that view to happen in. If you've got a face in front of you, if you had one of your own in its way, you wouldn't be able to take in that face, would you? The only way you can take in that face or that picture or that bowl of flowers is to be room for it disappear in its favor. You are empty for the scene. Just as you are kind of silent for these words, so you are empty, formless for the scene in front of you and colorless for the color in front of you. And your your nature is capacity for whatever is being presented. And the capacity is very big and you are the big one. And it's very refreshing to be the big one. So, how I already feel like I have sort of an answer as to how this relates to our day-to-day life experience. When we become the big one, we become space for it. And what does that mean as we try to work out, say, problems in our job situation? Well, all right, job problems in job situation. Some of the problems, perhaps many of the problems, are uh, interpersonal relationships in the office. Say. Well, somebody comes in, it may be a client, it may be a boss, it may be an employee, or just a colleague. Now you have a straight choice. Shall you tell lie and uh, 
confront that person uh, 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 and uh, work out where you are the notion of a face to confront their face with. In other words, hallucinate to order so that you're confronting the one there or shall you tell the truth, which is that you're open for that one. You're busted wide open. The only face you have when uh, somebody's there uh, in front of you is that person's face. Just as the only face I have now is um, Ray here holding out a microphone. The only face I've got now is a young lady's face, not an old man's face. She's the one with the old man's face, and we're trading faces. So in the office, I've got a simple choice. If there's somebody in front of me, am I going to tell the truth and be space for that one or shut them out? And of course, it's very rude to shut people out. It's false, it's rude, it's silly, and it spoils personal relationships. And if you want to get on with your boss or your employee or your colleague, if you want to sell something to anybody, I'd say you would be more likely to do do that and uh, uh, to to succeed in whatever you are attempting to do if you do so from the truth. And the truth is, if you really look, you'll see you are built open. Glasnost is the name. Your latest book, the little book of life and death, deals with this concept in relationship to dying. Correct? Yes, indeed, it does. Indeed it does. Well, um, death is uh, something I really rather fascinated by. At 80, it becomes quite a, a matter of interest, doesn't it? And uh, a very exciting uh, matter of interest. And uh, the question simply is, what dies? I mean, things die, don't they, Ray? I mean, uh, people die. Uh, houses uh, uh, fall to the ground, decay. Trees die. Planets come to an end. Uh, stars are snuffed out. Our sun has a limited life. Our galaxy is mortal. Everything perishes. And that little guy I see in my mirror, the little one, is a perisher. Every time I've looked in my mirror, he's been older. For 80 years, he's been getting older. And there he is. I mean, you know how much longer has he got. And that one is my kind of death, death certificate. And that one was born, that one will die. Now, that one, you see, is about a yard away. It's about a yard off, it's not here. And what they hear isn't like that. It's totally opposite. So now I look in my mirror, you see, and I, I used to look in my mirror to see what I was like. Now I look in my mirror to see what I'm not like. I look in my mirror and say, thank God I'm not like that. Look at that perisher in the mirror. I mean, he's, he's had it, and he almost had it. But the one here cannot perish. Why can't it perish? Because there's nothing here to perish. I really look at what I'm looking out of. There's not a speck there. Not a speck. It's absolutely speckless. It's clean of things. And it's just awareness which is immense, awen immense awareness. Without boundaries, clear as a clear sky, wide as a wide sky, imperishable. So I look in the mirror at perishing, that little perishing chap whose name is Douglas, and I look here, what I'm looking out of, this imperishable awareness, which is boundless, extremely awake to itself as imperishable and boundless capacity, 
and I celebrate and enjoy the fact that this one is imperishable. And and for for a confirmation of this rare, very exciting thing. See, if I try, if I try and bring that mirror, looking at my face in the mirror, which is a death's head, really skull-shaped, isn't it? I try and bring it up here. I really sincerely, you know, just do this experiment, and I would recommend that our listener might try this sometime. You try putting on that face, that death said. Bring it right up here and try and mount it on your shoulders. First of all, it's the wrong way around, which is ridiculous. And secondly, you can't do it. Put it on here, because when it comes very near here, looking at the face in the mirror, it gets very near to you, it gets all blurry, and it reduces to a bit of a nose and an eye, and it gets more and more blurry and vague, and before it arrives where you are, it's all gone. You cannot put on death. And, um, you know, it was Paul, wasn't it, who said, talked about, uh, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? And I can tell, uh, dear old Paul, I say, Paul, you know, I can tell you exactly how far death is away, but something like a quarter of an inch away. That's far enough. That's far enough. And I think it's intensely funny. And it's beautiful, it's simple, it's obvious. I live in a place which death cannot come to. The sting of death and, and the victory of the grave can never come to the big one here. And this isn't a matter of belief or thinking about it or feeling it. It's For me, it's a matter of simple looking. In fact, my whole thing, really, right, is not a matter of believing. It's not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of seeing, because seeing convinces. My thoughts are up and down. My feelings are up and down. Seeing is rock-like in its evidence of immortality and freedom from stress, freedom from problems. And... Uh, seems to me the, the whole art of life is to be the big one that you are and make friends with the little one out there. And now you've got a new book soon to come out called, in, called Head Off Stress. So what can we do about stress? Well, I think it's the same problem, really, because stress and death go very well together. They're kind of part and parcel of one another. Um, Everything in the world is stressed. I mean, stress simply means that uh, things are uh, in tension and clashing and are moving about uh, in a forceful way, pushing each other around, pushing and pulling and twisting and uh, so forth. They're busy uh, manipulating and changing each other, aren't they? Everything in the world is in a state of stress. And that's not naughty or bad, it's the way things are. Things are held together by stress. Everything is constituted of stress. If you, if you unstress the objects around you, they would simply disappear into thin air. So stress is uh, perfectly in order where it is uh, flourishing there in the realm of the little one. In the realm of that little guy I see in my mirror named Douglas, well, he's living in the stress, stressful world. But you see, he's, he's, he's out there. He's not where I am here. He's my appearance, or one of my many appearances. But see, what I am here, right here, is my reality of where I'm coming from, what I really, really, really am. 
and there is nothing there to be stressed and that is in a state of peace that is in a state of no stress so I mean if you want to be hot you go to the equator if you want to be cold you go to the North Pole if you want to be unstressed you go where there's no stress namely right where you are simple as that I mean you, you, if you don't want stress it's perfectly simple you go where there isn't any and even if you're the most stressed up person on earth I don't care right where you are at the centre of your life is a stress free region pay it a visit pay it a visit and it's very easy to visit because in fact you never left it you never left the place so pay it a visit and it's worth visiting there's no stress there and how do you visit it? You turn your arrow of attention round 180 degrees. Instead of merely looking at the thing in front of you, you look at what you're looking out of. And that's pretty easy. I'm looking at your face out of no face. And I'm looking into a stressful world. I won't say a stressful ray, but I'm looking into a stressful world out of the region of no stress. And as simple as that. Thank you very much, Douglas. Well, it's been a pleasure.